Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer, delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast presented by STP. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. This is a special episode for two reasons. One, it's the 100th episode of this podcast, which we started in February 2016. Many thanks to all of you who have been listening and supporting it since then. And two, it has a record number of guests. This episode features 14 of the 16 drivers in the 2017 NASCAR playoffs. We spoke to all of them during a four-hour window at Media Day this week at the NASCAR Hall of Fame in Charlotte. Now, there are a few other things different about this episode. These are much shorter conversations than we normally do, roughly five to ten minutes with every driver, and because of that, I've tried to narrow the focus to at least one or two non-racing topics with each of them. You will hear some NASCAR-related subject matter here and there, But there will be some, such as Jimmy Johnson, who just opened a new restaurant, in which the conversation is exclusively about their personal lives. The goal is that you hopefully learn something new about each of them. They spent a lot of time talking racing on Media Day Wednesday in Charlotte, including a full slate of interviews with every playoff driver on NASCAR America and NBCSN. Hope you've seen some of those. So I'm surmising that some of you probably have gotten your fill of hearing about playoff points and championship favorites. All that is good stuff too, but this delves into a slightly different place. Okay, a lot of conversations to get to here, but before we get started, a few more explainers. Media Day is an inherently chaotic and hectic environment, and we still managed to get nearly every driver, but we unintentionally left out two of them. The first was Jamie McMurray, who was the most recent driver just on the NASCAR and NBC podcast last month, so I'd encourage you to go back to listen to that. If you haven't, Jamie was a great guest. And the other driver we missed was Ricky Stenhouse Jr. I am very sorry about that, and I'm working to have Ricky on as a guest before the end of this season. So, conversations with 14 drivers, and I'm splitting this episode into two parts. In the first, we'll have Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Larson... Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Brad Kozlowski, Jimmy Johnson, and Kevin Harvick. And we'll kick it off with Martin Truex Jr., who greeted me off mic with an exaggerated Jersey-esque, how you doing? I always get a kick out of Martin being the guy from the Jersey Shore, 
who has the North Carolina drawl, so I had to start there. So do you often lapse into like the New Jersey, how you doing accent? No, not really. I just, every once in a while for fun. Hey, done. Because <laughs> you've actually had the North Carolina accent now for going on. Raph, Man, you moved I, here? You know, I moved here in 03. But when I lived in New Jersey, people always asked me, like, are you from the South? Like, why do you talk funny? Like, I don't <laughs> talk, I never talked normal Joyzy, you know? So I don't know. I think it was partly that and then partly it made a change in the whatever, how many years I've lived here. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds good on you now, man. I just talk the way I talk. You yeah, know, it is what it is. Yeah, it sounds good. What also sounds good is that you've gotten over Saturday night. I was going to ask you what you do to get away when things go to the hell at the end of a race, but it sounds like you don't need to go anywhere because by the time you reach the airport, things are fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're caught up in the moment, you're fired up, the adrenaline's pumping, you just raced your butt off all night and you're angry at the end, you know, the outcome. You wanted some answers, you, you waited until you got them, and then you kind of thought it all over and went home and it's like, all right, well, that is what it is. It's over, we can't change it. So let's talk to the powers that be and try to understand their thoughts on what happened, um, how we would maybe handle that in the future. And then kind of say, okay, it's time to move on to Chicago. Playoffs are coming. It's time to get serious, and uh, we'll see what happens. And you got satisfactory answers from Steve O'Donnell? I mean, yes and no. It was, you know, I I think that he agreed with me, which made me feel better. Yeah. (laughs) So I didn't feel so dumb um, for being mad. And I think that in the future, I'm hopefully that they lean towards more of what they tell us, which is let the race play out naturally. Let's not disturb it, you know. Mm Um, so hopefully they'll do that, and it'll be better for everyone, whether you win or you lose. I mean, you at least want it to be fair or consistent, Yeah. you know. So that's what I guess all I'm asking for and all I was hoping for. So your crew chief, Cole Pern, whose facial expressions during the regular season trophy tr- championship almost <laughs> trumped yours in terms of, like, blank, seething anger. Blowing fire out <laughs> their eyes. <laughs> he got away on Monday night by going to the Denver Broncos game. It, it, was he there did. anything you did this week to decompress? It sounded like for a guy who works as much as he does, I would think that was his, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go into my 10 race playoff mode. Yeah, I I didn't really, know. No. I mean, Sunday just chilled out at the house and didn't, yeah. didn't do a whole lot of anything. But, yeah, I get over, I get over things pretty quickly and yeah. pretty easy to, you know, change the thought process to, okay, you know, this is next week. That one was over. Let's focus forward. Yeah. I've been through a whole lot worse in Richmond than in my in my life you know to i was a little disappointed in myself for carrying it on so long that evening but i just it was so i think you were within your rights martin in that well, case it, yeah so it, yeah i, I kind of felt a little bad about the championship trophy presentation deal because it's a huge deal and it's so sure. important and it, it meant it's, it meant means a ton to us obviously sure. it's a huge accomplishment and i feel bad for our sponsors and, and barney and everybody that i was so mad about <laughs> around that time but yeah i mean i guess it shows the competitive level that we you know, the desire that we have to win and to be the best. And, uh, you know, sometimes that spills over, but it's what it takes. We say we want to see that passion and the raw emotion. You, you got it. You can't be criticized when you're showing it, on a night, like, especially yeah. when and I wrote this this week, and I think you alluded to it Saturday night. I mean, they could have made that presentation at Darlington, and some of us were wondering why they didn't, because yeah. that would have been, yeah, it would have been nice time to, to do it. Right? New, some new tires on my car at Darlington have a few laps to go and have a chance to finish them better than eighth. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Speaking of places that you get away, something I've been to ask you about. Dale Jr. has talked about this property that he bought with you. Yeah. That's in Ohio? Yeah, okay. Ohio. How often do you guys get out there? Um, I would say not often enough. So Dale's brother-in-law, L.W. Miller, Kelly's husband, um, he's our third partner. We all do it together. So oh, cool. he okay. probably spends more time there than we do because he has a normal, no normal job. <laughs> and 
he gets some weekends to go up there and kind of take care of the land and make sure everything's all kind of set up. But we probably get there four to five times throughout the year, two or three times maybe just to work on the land and hang tree stands and just do whatever needs to be done, you know, to kind of get it ready for to go up there and hunt. And then uh, we, I think we hunted there maybe a total of eight or ten days last year. So not a, not as much as we'd like, but it's a cool little getaway. Cool, we got a nice little cabin on it, and uh, it's a cool place to get away. And I don't even think our cell phones barely work there, so just get away and kind of have a good time and enjoy each other and and uh, do some do a little bit of hunting. Your playoff emoji is a number. It's kind of boring, isn't it? Did you have anything to do with that? Yeah, I'm not sure. So <laughs> I remember somebody asking me about some emoji stuff and like what I wanted it to be, and I don't remember if it was for that or something else. So. I'm trying to get to the bottom of it. Okay. It was uh, because the discussion was not a good one <laughs> for it to end up being that. As much as I love the, the orange on that 78, I'd rather have something a little more creative. Okay. Maybe they can put something Jersey in next time or something like that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Martin. Thanks. Appreciate you stopping by, man. Okay. Next up is Kyle Larson, who is actually the last driver to stop by our podcast station. Kyle was recently on an excellent episode of Racing Roots with Kyle Petty and Rutledge Wood. And Kyle and Rutt both have talked about what big dirt racing fans Kyle's parents are. So that's where I started with Kyle. So your parents weren't at the Michigan race that you won, right? Or Richmond. I know at Michigan it was obviously because they were at the Knoxville Nationals, right? Mm-hmm. And were they at a dirt race? Yeah, yeah. Richmond? Gold Cup. Uh, Gold Cup is like the Knoxville Nationals of the, the West Coast racing. So they were there. Um, and Richmond's a, a not a good track for me, so why would they come? <laughs> I don't but, blame them. But the other funny part about this, and I learned this from watching uh, the Racing Roots show that you did with, with Rutledge Wood and Kyle Petty, is, I mean, they are true dirt aficionados. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're they're big race fans, but they're massive sprint car and midget dirt track fans. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't get my feelings hurt when they don't come to a, a race at all because I know they're at a, at a sprint car race somewhere in the country. Which, you know, if it was on a different day of the week, I wish I could be there with them. Yeah, my dad was a huge race fan uh, as a kid. And then when he met my mom, um, you know, when they were in, you know, junior high and started dating in high school, uh, he started taking her to West Capitol, and and she turned into a a huge race fan also. So it was sort of predestined that you were probably going to be a racing. Yeah, yeah. So you don't mind at all that they don't show up, though? No, I don't. Like I said, if, if I wasn't... If I wasn't at a NASCAR track, I'd be in Chico, California last Saturday night uh, watching a race in the Gold Cup also. You feel like Kyle at Dirt Racing has kind of gone through a renaissance uh, yeah. this year? Yeah, it's been it's been cool to see. You know, I, I think sprint car racing got a bad reputation there for a few years with Tony, uh, all the, the stuff that, that he had to go through um, with injuries and then, you know, the whatever happened there um, on Watkins Glen weekend, um, and then you know, other drivers getting injured and, and killed and stuff. Where this year, this year's been kind of a positive year. You know, I think you know, with myself doing as good as I did uh, in, in sprint car racing and NASCAR racing, um, it's helped that, and it's been cool to see. You know, every racetrack I've gone to this year has been, gosh, it's been close to sold out, if not sold out. The racing's been great too, and it's been getting a lot of TV exposure. I think, you know, when I won. You know, that week of Michigan when I ran Knox Nationals and, and all the hype behind that and then coming to Michigan and winning was uh, huge for sprint car racing. Is there something to the safety advancements that have been made having an impact already that does seem as if there's been less negative headlines from injuries or fatalities or whatever? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think you know, there's been some safety advances. Um, 
but nothing nothing like crazy you know there's there's not much to those vehicles i don't think you know we can't add more door padding <laughs> like you can <laughs> can in a stock car so it's it's tough to to uh, you know make them much safer or, or whatever you know they've got tethers on you know axles and radius rods and stuff to keep them from flying off the car and things like that but um they're still a dangerous vehicle and but you know there there's nothing that's as fun to drive as, as a dirt car and if you could have your druthers like you said you'd be you'd be racing more often how many more do you you're not going to race during the playoffs but do you have any no more i'm my there's really there's no midweek races left for me to race in these final 10 but as soon as we're done at Homestead, I'm going to go to California and race uh, Turkey Night Grand Prix on uh, Thanksgiving. And then I'm going to go to New Zealand for about six races in the off season, and then do Chili Bowl. And then uh, that leads up pretty much to, to our season. So I don't have much much of an off season. You said a few months ago you'd like to see other drivers maybe do this and get in touch with grassroots. Do you feel like that people are taking heed of that? Do you see any movement toward guys doing more of that? Or? Uh, I don't know. It's I say that, and, and I would love to see us all race more often but it's tough you know Kyle Busch goes and runs his late model stuff Casey goes and runs a sprint car when he can you know a lot of us don't have the the resources or personnel to go do it or a lot of other people you know I've got people throughout the country I can call up and and go race for Mm -hmm. um, where it's tougher I think for for people to do that Um, would you help them out if they called you and said hey I want to race dirt can I can you get me in a car yeah yeah yeah, I could um for sure um but it's not only just dirt racing i don't wish that people would go dirt racing I, just like I, i'd models. like yeah, yeah yeah i mean whatever you whatever you want to go race whether it's you know a late model or a legends car or something just get back to get back to your roots a little bit and yeah. uh, i think that'll help our sport out obviously the cars are better but is there anything you're doing differently like in your personal life that has just made it easier to to post solid results this year. I know it gets easier when you have better aerodynamics or better horsepower. Or like yeah. There's anything you're doing? No, I mean I don't think in my personal life I'm doing anything different. Uh, I'm still raising Owen, you know, still racing sprint cars, still golfing when I can. So there's nothing personal, but I think with our race cars being better, I can do different things in the car, and I don't have to be so aggressive, which gets myself in in less uh positions where i'm making mistakes and and i think that's been a big part of our consistency this year mm-hmm. as well as you know good finishes does owen balance you out a little bit having him there i don't know sometimes <laughs> uh, it, it's hard to it's hard to say a, a two and a half year old can balance your life out because they're so crazy but um <laughs> i do have a lot of fun with him at the racetrack him and caitlin and they come to almost every race they they actually weren't at michigan or at richmond either yeah i th- i he makes he makes the the downtime at the racetracks a lot more fun. I saw recently you also said that Caitlin got you to go on a beach vacation somewhere right? <laughs> that you normally would not have done, but you agreed. Oh to. well, yeah. a yacht vacation. I mean, I'll go on a yacht vacation. But, <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, that we went uh, to the Bahamas for Ricky's um, early birthday uh, during the off weekend. So I'll I'll do some yacht trips. I won't I don't want to go lay on a beach anywhere though. <laughs> Why is that? It's boring. I mean. <laughs> I could lay in my backyard next to my pool and get tan, just as good as I can laying on some sandy beach. The same sun. The yeah, same it's the same sun. <laughs> my first reaction to you winning Richmond was, this is Kyle Larson getting another step closer to Miami. And I still think Martin Truex Jr. is the favorite, obviously with 53 playoff points, or whatever, to, to get to Miami. But if you get to Miami against Martin Truex Jr., then I think it shifts and you maybe become the favorite is that how you guys view it or how you view it that's i mean it's kind of hard to uh have a favorite maybe when you get to homestead but i i feel like the playing field would be definitely more even or or a hair swayed to my side if we got to homestead in the final four just because i run so good there and uh 
nobody can really run up by the wall like I can. So I think it gives me a little bit of an advantage. So I don't know. Hopefully we can just get to that point and, and we'll see. But I, I definitely think Martin will be in the Final Four, mm-hmm. um, and I hope I'm along, you know, alongside him there. Is it going to take another win? For you to get there, or can you do it based off playoff points and consistency of the first nine? I think in the first round you can do it off consistency. I think as you get past the first round, you probably you need to be really consistent or definitely get a win in those those next two rounds. And are there tracks you've picked out round two, round three? Round two, um, yeah, I always run pretty good at the day races at Charlotte, so hopefully we can go there with a with there not being any weather in the forecast to make it a night race. For some reason, there I struggle when it, the sun goes down. Talladega is a wild card. Kansas, I run good at, but Martin, that's probably his best track. But then in the the next, the, the third round, I kind of view Texas as the one I, I need to win because um, Martinsville I'm, I'm terrible at. And then Phoenix, Phoenix can be hit or miss for me. You know, I've, I've ran good there, but I've ran average also. So, um, yeah, I need to, need to probably focus really hard on every track, but especially Texas in that final round. Kyle Busch says that it's Truex is the clear-cut favorite, then it's you and him. Is that yeah. how you see it right now, pretty much? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I would say Kyle maybe is a hair better than I am, uh, than our team is, or, or speed-wise. But uh, I would say we're you know right there with him, maybe third best. But that doesn't mean anything, really. I don't even, even honestly, Martin's 53 points he has right now, mm-hmm. if he gets two bad races in a round, you know, two DNFs, you know, he could be out of the first round which is insane so there's always some crazy stuff that happens in these final 10 there always are hope you can avoid it thanks for joining us Appreciate thank you it. we talked to kyle bush two days after he attended the denver broncos home opener so naturally we began there but he also told us about another stop he made in the mile high city so denver broncos game yeah how do you get tickets when you're a nascar driver who's a fan like that uh, you call the stadium's 1-800 number and you say, I need tickets, and, and you get them. Now, come on. Somebody hooked you up, obviously. Uh, right? Yeah, I've, well, I've got a few hookups out in Denver now over the years. So um, first couple of years, it was with Rod Smith, ex-Bronco, who was a wide receiver, one of the greatest of the Bronco team. And then uh, met up with the PR guy, and so he's been pretty cool the last few years of giving me some tickets as well. And then this year, a buddy of mine said that he was going to the game, and he knew John Elway. He's been friends with John Elway for 20 years and just found out. I've been friends with this guy for five years. He just found out that I was a Bronco fan, so he's like, hey, let's go. And so we got sideline passes through him and uh, got to hang out with John Elway on the sidelines and then uh, go up to the press box suite. It was right next to the TV guys and the radio guys, and it was actually like John Elway's press suite. He has a family suite as well, too, which we went and hung out with some of his family peoples, but there was like 20 of them in there, and it was pretty loud. They were, they were having a good time, and so we just wanted to sit and watch the game, so we, we head back to our suite. Huh. So a mutual friend yeah. of John Elway's got you in touch with him. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Cool. And yeah. what, what did you guys talk about? Anything fun? Uh, we talked about football. We talked about racing. We talked about uh, car dealerships. We talked about... Um, <laughs> family uh his daughter was there and uh my my son wasn't there but he he knew i had brexton and so um all kinds of stuff man it was good what's it like to meet when you're a fan of a professional sporting franchise and you meet the most iconic mm-hmm. person who's ever played for them are you, are you in awe i mean i'm sure you don't get awed easily but when you're standing next to a hall of fame guy like that is it different no i mean i would say that i'm, I'm not really in awe i'm just kind of like i feel like i'm a person too you know so i look mm-hmm. at him as a person so i'm just trying to be friends with the guy essentially you know I didn't I didn't necessarily say hey John what's your number let me call you next time I'm in town but you know obviously being uh being mutual friends with the guy that that is friends with him it was just a a cool unique opportunity to just kind of 
chill and chat and you know if it if it works out one day maybe I'll get his number we'll see and Broncos fan is that because of your proximity to Vegas so years ago yeah when I was a kid in Vegas growing up um, my neighbor was a San Diego Chargers fan so I'm like I'm not going to be a Charger fan the Cardinals really weren't very good San Fran was kind of too far away necessarily, but that, that, that's when they were really good with the end of Montana and then Steve Young coming in. But anyway, so John Elway came to town. He was a part of that AutoNation group car dealerships and was signing autographs because he was a part of it, so bringing people to the dealership. And so I got there, got his autograph, and I've had that helmet ever since. And actually to today, the only now I have a second signature on that helmet. So it's a real Denver Broncos helmet. With John Elway and Peyton Manning, the only two quarterback Super Bowl winners for the Broncos are on it. Could make some money on eBay with that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, I would hang on to it. You also made the most of your time in Denver, Kyle, because you stopped by (laughs) Furniture Row Racing. Yeah. Was that an unannounced visit? Yeah, no. (laughs) Cole and um, and Joe Garone and uh, and Chris Gale, they knew I was coming, but like the rest of the guys, they didn't know I was coming. So when I showed up and I'm walking through, they're all like looking at me like, what the hell is he doing here? You know, (laughs) so uh, they knew I was in. I actually went out to the, to lunch the previous day with Cole, so we were just kind of chilling and hanging out. They all went to the game as well. So we had our team conference call in, whatever. Normally I would be at Joe Gibbs Racing for it, um, but instead I just called in. I was at Furniture Row, so technically I was there and uh, and made and made my uh, my duties known that uh, I lived up to what I needed to this week. You were marked present in Colorado because, yes, of course, they, they are kind of like de facto teammates, but you've been pretty adamant about this and, and candid about it, Kyle. You said after Richmond, I, I think it was Gluck asked you on his podcast about the Toyotas are way ahead, and you said, no, the Toyotas aren't way ahead. Martin Drake's Jr. and Cole Pern, the 78, are way ahead. Yep, that's, yep. that's the team you got to beat right now. Yeah, no question. They, they are the team to beat, and they're going to be the team to beat all the way to Homestead, and uh, when you get to Homestead, then you got to figure out how to beat them there too, you know, but they've been really fast. They've had really good speed. They've certainly shown what domination or being number one in the NASCAR Monster Energy Cup Series is all about, and uh, and that's that's who we're chasing. That's who we got to catch up to. It's not going to get awkward. I mean, no, I don't think so. I mean, yeah. we we were right there with them all last year too. I mean, they were the dominant force or one of the dominant forces last year, and then they got knocked out with the engine troubles at Talladega, and they didn't have the the backstop of all the chase stage points stage points that uh, that they have this year so if the same thing happens this year I still feel like they'll make it through they'll be able to get to Homestead so you look at the 78 bunch as the as the team that you're going to have to race at Homestead you made one competition change a pretty significant one you guys swapped pit crews is that decision that you intimately get involved in what is that like as a driver yeah I mean I'd say I wasn't intimately involved but when it was brought to my attention obviously um, you know I I wasn't against it I do feel for those guys that I've been with since the beginning, since I came to Joe Gibbs Racing. There's three of them right now that are on my pit crew, and uh, I feel for them. But, man, it's it's a performance-based business, and it's tough, and everybody always wants to look at where the next place you can get better is, and that's one of the places we can get better is pit road. Uh, we have all the metrics, and we have all of everything that, that showed us that that was a change that we could make to benefit us. And when you go into the playoffs, you got to have – all the bullets in the chamber, you got to have them all ready to go, you know. And so that was um, – it's a very, very difficult change to make. I didn't want to have to make the change. Like, we told them actually two months ago, like, hey, we got to pick it up. we got to get a little bit better. And they kind of plateaued. And so it was, it was, you know, a necessary change. Even when you went Bristol, a couple of the stops were slow that night. And Darlington, I know – Hamlin still beat you in the pits right. that night, so right. that, that there's still yeah. those si- lingering signs, even though you're running really well. Yeah, right? yeah, and and look, I, I can't beat up my pit crew. Look, they've 
they've probably won us more races right. than they've lost us right. over the course of the last 10 years. So um, they've been the, the best group of guys that, that I could have ever asked for when they put them all together originally. You know, a couple of them have kind of moved on, retired, or, or done something different. But, um, you know, it's, it's still um, a performance-based business, and it's tough, and, and we just had to make the change and move on. All right, man. Well, good luck the rest of the way with that, and uh, thanks for being here. All right, sounds good. In addition to trying to win the first championship of his career, Denny Hamlin has a lot happening at home, from the court to his kids. We asked him about all of that. What's life like now these days to you? Is it twice as hectic with a newborn at home, or is it, like, incrementally crazier than it used to be? Or? Um... I think it's like 20%, 30% harder, obviously because there's both of the kids have needs, you know, a lot of, and they're not aligned right now. So, um, you know, once they get more aligned and, and get on a regular schedule, you know, this is probably going to be three, four years from now, um, then it'll be a little bit easier. But right now, you know, Jordan's got her hands full. I got my hands full for sure. Yeah. And how does Taylor like having a baby sister? She likes it. Uh, you know, I think she's going to be, you know, really excited when her little sister can like do things with her. Uh, right now, you know, she's just she likes to hold her and things like that. So, from fun. what we've seen, she seems to take after mom and dad and being kind of active and yeah, going she, and social. Yeah, she's never met a stranger, so <laughs> you, you'll you'll never see her hiding behind dad's legs. I see a lot of your family uh, these days on social media, Denny, but I also feel like I see almost as much time uh, on your hoops league, whether it's periscoping or, or tweeting or whatever you're doing. Does that require as much time as raising a child right now as <laughs> being the facilitator of the the NASCAR yeah. driver hoop league? Well, not only that, but I have a golf league we're, we're in the middle of, and we have an event on October 25th or September 25th, and we don't know where we're going yet. So yeah. we're trying to lock down these golf courses, and it is not fun having you know a newborn, a four-year-old, and trying to run two different leagues. That's it is a pain. Oh yeah, and it's fancy. Oh, and, oh by the way, we're, yeah, and run for a championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's way on the down the yeah. pro list. The the basketball court in your house is that built to like NBA level specification? I've always wanted to ask this. We are ten foot short of NBA length. Um, I didn't, you know, I'm not twenty five. I know Blaney comes over and he's about twenty five, so he can handle the running, but. <laughs> We had to shorten it up for the old guys. So did you bring in, like, world-class yeah, instructors? It's, yeah, it's okay. the best. Uh, you know, the flooring is the best. It came from, you know, the same people that did the Hornets floor did it. I had to have, you know, a lot of spring in the floor to keep from, you know, bad knees, bad joints being uh, bad. But, uh, yeah, I, I actually take a few basketball lessons here just to kind of refine, like, you know, the basics of, of basketball because, you know, I, no one likes to suck at anything, especially, you know, you can't go out there and, and be terrible if you have a court in your house. And you take this thing seriously. You guys play the national anthem before every we do. game? We okay. do, before yeah. every game. Um, we all take it seriously. And uh, there's been a few times where you know the actual players have start, have sung it you know, in harmony. So that that's actually pretty cool. <laughs> Who's got the best jump shot? Of the NASCAR guys? Yeah. Of the NASCAR guys, Austin Dillon's probably the, the best player all-around player uh he's got a good handles so he, he he's the most dangerous player he's the number one pick last year uh he'll actually be a captain and won't be in the draft this year so we're going to add another team this will be seven teams in our league wow and w- so was the court purpose built for this league pretty much the, the league existed yeah, before but you needed I, like had, a home yeah. there was a league there was a bbl it's called burkdale uh, basketball league that you know played you know in the around the burkdale area and i was always a part of it uh, but I was just like, you know, it was a pain driving out to Mount Island every single Monday. So 
I was like, you know, I, I like playing pickup hoops. It's it's a way for me to exercise. I'll, I'll never be a guy that goes runs like a 5K or anything or goes cycling. I just I choose to run that way instead. All right, so a lot going on, as you mentioned. Another thing that's going on right now on the NASCAR side is uh, looking ahead to 2018 and even looking a little bit you know, further down the road than that. President Brent Dewar has been out there a lot lately talking about how this is the busiest time of the year for NASCAR and that they're meeting with you guys a lot about what's next. So, Denny, you're, you're obviously a key member of the Driver Council. What's on the horizon right now for 2018? Like, What's being talked about when you guys are in those discussions with NASCAR? Well, I think the biggest thing is formats um you know we we talk about the stages whether they've been successful how we can refine them i think they were have been a huge success uh this season um i can tell you inside the race car that drivers are for sure more intense throughout the entire event versus just at the end kind of redefining that and figuring out you know whether we need to tweak it or not obviously tires is always a big discussion whether we have a tire that needs to be softer harder wear out more wear out less tires are always a very big discussion as well as um, track safety is always a big hitter you know figuring out how we can secure areas around the race cars before the race and things like that and is the consensus right now no change really needed for stages everybody's fairly happy yeah i think everyone's been pretty happy with it for the most part i mean there's some longer races in there i think if you look at the length of some races they really get long i can appreciate long races but i also see that like every other sport is looking to speed up you know the process of of the event and eventually i feel like we we need to get slim down slightly to maybe only a few 500 mile races a year something well like that. i mean i don't know and this that, you know a lot of this is just my opinion yeah i would i'd like to see some races trim down slightly I, I think there's so much more to the race weekend than just the race i mean people go to a charlotte's night baseball game I, i've been to probably four or five i couldn't tell you one player but it's about the atmosphere right it's, right people show up because it's the facilities are nice, and it's you know you can talk with friends and things like that. So Gen Seven car, I, obviously a, a lot has gone into reducing downforce the last couple of years. But it sounds like when I hear about what NASCAR wants to do with Gen Seven car, which sounds as if two to four years away, they want to do a lot more gadgetry, technology, fan elements, like things that fans can get in touch with through technology, through like more of the you know the, the digital dash type stuff. It, what do you guys want to see in that next iteration of the car? Have you guys had any input on that yet? Yeah, I mean, I can see where there's a, a need for stuff like that. I'm not sure personally how much the, what's the generation right now, you know? I don't know how in tune they are with their cars. I think they just drive cars now, yeah. you know? it's. I think that, you know, we've gone through a weird transition of, you know, in the 50s, 60s, we went... You know, kids were really excited about racing their streetcar, right, on the street or taking it, you know, racing ovals with it. And now an automobile is just a way for them to get from point A to point B. So I don't know how in tune people are with the technology of things. Do they want to know what my water temperature is, really? I mean, does that really matter to them? I, I, I think it, it more personally i think more of the focus needs to be on the competition side of things and making sure we have a good product on the racetrack procedurally do you think we'll see anything different on restart lane choice i know that is something you. i would like to see it i mean yeah. for sure i think that some race tracks it's just such a huge disadvantage um and you know why should you be penalized say at bristol if you come out of the pits third uh why is that a penalty versus coming out sixth like Third should be better, not worse. So 
Um, I, I can tell you, many people would probably pick eighth place on a restart at Bristol versus third on the inside. So, yeah, it's you try to make it a little bit more fair. I just worry a little bit about the chaos that can ensue once. What happens if someone doesn't choose their lane in time? Like, yeah, and the next guy comes up. Like, I just I hope it gets tighter and people can figure it out pretty quick. Yeah, you think that could be this year, next year? I don't think it'll be this year. I think that, uh, you know, everything's kind of set in stone. You usually see once the playoffs start, you know, you got what you got. You know, they don't change a whole lot. Uh, NASCAR does not want to change things in the playoffs. So um, I I think next year it's a possibility, but I don't know whether it's certainty or not. Darlington gave you 31 wins, more than any active driver, I think, without a championship. I'm sure that's not a stat you necessarily want to hear, or maybe you do. I don't know if that's something you, you take pride in regardless of whether you have that title on your resume. But when you start the playoffs, I know every year, virtually every year in your career, except for 2013, you've been a contender. You've been somebody who enters the playoffs with a legitimate shot. Is it in the back of your mind that I have to maximize it because there's been missed opportunities before, or do you just compartmentalize that and just not think about it at all that you've had those opportunities? Well, I think that this year's a little bit different because, you know, we do have some bonus points. You know, we're all not starting from scratch. You know what I mean? We don't all have 5,000 points or 2,000 points. Um, there has been built in some cushion there for you can, you don't have to fight for sixth place. You can take eighth if you've got bonus points in the bank. I would say it, there's not such a sense of urgency early in rounds. Now, late in rounds, you're going to have to win, and you're going to have to be very consistent or win. So that's less on your mind here than the So first I think round. it's yeah. less on my mind, but, I, I mean, there's so many things that I've learned in each and every playoff that I've been in that uh, I'll take to this one, and hopefully that information will work out and, and be an advantage to me. I, I truly believe that the playoffs is a veteran's race. I, I really do believe that. Um, and I think that this year uh, it will be no different. And is this as good a shot as you for four, as 14, 2012, 2010, all those years? I like? mean, maybe yeah. better. Yeah. I mean, because our cars are running so well, and, I mean, we've been in the top five, nine of 12 races now, so something, something you know, that's a, that's a role that I haven't been on really in my career. So um, this is a – we're in a good time right now. Well, good luck to you. Thanks, Thanks. for joining When Danica Patrick's future became even more uncertain this week, I was struck that one of her staunchest defenders on Twitter was Brad Kozlowski. A few years ago, Brad made some headlines with a sharply worded opinion of her place in NASCAR. So I wanted to ask him if his view had changed. And, as usual – Brad was very insightful. You put up a tweet yesterday, Brad, about Danica Patrick, which I agree with. I said, best female NASCAR driver of all time. It'll take decades to challenge your legacy, which I think is a fair statement given that it took 60-plus years to get to this point. Yeah. And yeah, she hasn't won a race or a championship, but, I mean, who else would be in that category aside from Janet Guthrie you, at this point? You don't see anybody in the pipeline, at least not close, right? Right. You know, if there's, of course, someone running a late model or a sprint car somewhere, but they're not, like, you know, running in the Xfinity Series or Truck Series. So, no, I, I don't see anyone close. And, I, you know, I, I look at Danica, and, and she's got some detractors. Everyone does. Certainly I do. When I look at her detractors, I can't help but think that, you know, 5, 10, 20 years down the line, those same people are going to say, gosh, do you remember that time when she raced? And, man, that was really cool. I missed that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I, that's kind of what I think and what I see. Has your opinion changed a little bit? Because four years ago, and this is not to play gotcha at all, but like four <laughs> years ago when I interviewed you, you famously said, like, I don't think of her as, oh, there's that woman driving a race car. I think of it as, oh, there's a 30th place driver yeah. who's trying to improve. Has your opinion yeah, changed? Since my opinion has changed for a couple different reasons. 
of course, I knew less about her than, than I do know, just from proximity. And I think now I appreciate her more because I know her better and because I'm in a different place in my life, having kids and so forth and, and kind of seeing the world in a, a different way. But probably more so even than that is that I appreciate her work ethic and, and that you know she did put a lot of work ethic into it. And I probably had a lot of questions about that when she came in. And she proved to me that not only was she willing to work at it, she was willing to work at it to me harder than most of the men I know too. So she deserves a lot of credit for that. And having a wife now and a young daughter, does that perhaps influence Yeah, well, I, I think I see that how much harder it is and how many more boundaries and you know barriers there are for her to even have the opportunity. Of course, I see, like I said, I have people that are detractors for me and you know every driver probably has their hecklers along the way, but she just gets even more of them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And there was a point in time where I would say that it's natural to be jealous because there's people that liked her just because she's a female, and, and that didn't quite feel right to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I, I think I've gotten to a point now where I see where uh, there's also people that don't like her just because she's a female, and that doesn't seem right either. But, you know, in, in a reflective point in time, uh, which is now for me in my life, I would say that uh, she's underappreciated uh, respectfully. What is, I'm going to completely expose myself and embarrass myself here what is twitch twitch, twitch okay twitch is a online streaming video game service okay where you can play a video game and it shows what you see but to everybody else i see okay so people are like watching you play some video so yeah somebody game. basically somebody okay. will watch you play video game vicariously it's extremely you. popular with the millennial crowd okay which yeah. of course i am not a part of well, whatsoever yeah, so no, i need I'm, you to keep me neither in touch. am i actually so <laughs> Well, close enough. I'm close. Yeah. yeah. Wait, what do we consider a millennial, by the way? I think someone born in 82 and later. 82 and later? I thought I that was so, right? Gen, like, Y. Or- I'm Gen X, which I'm very fiercely proud of. And I think, like, you would consider Gen X to be, like, 65, 66 to about, like, 79, 80. So I, okay. I feel like millennial kind of starts... Like around so you think why is really millennial? I, yeah. I, actually, this is funny because I got into a debate with somebody. <laughs> the night you won the championship in 2012 on Twitter because I had called you a NASCAR's first Gen Y champion, I think, in my USA Day story on Twitter or yep. something like that. And somebody yep. said, no, it's not Gen Y because that's lazy. And just going from Gen X to Gen Y and just changing a letter, it's millennial. Really? They, they cited, like, somebody who said, like, style-wise, millennial is the correct style, not Gen Y. So. I think maybe that person put a little bit too much time into that. Perhaps. Yeah. That never happens on social media. <laughs> no. All right. So they're asking for you over here. So I've got one more for you, which actually ties into your millennial thing. Yes. Y- you are kind of like in these nether regions of you're 33 years old. Yeah. And so you're not quite Gen X, my generation, yeah. but you're not quite like the 20 something up and yeah, comer. I'm a, I'm a tweener. Yeah. yeah, I'm a tweener. How's that feel? Um, it's an interesting spot to be in. It really is yeah. um, for a number of reasons because I feel like I'm young enough in, in so many ways to have a perspective of where the world's going, but also on another level, old enough to appreciate where it's been. And that's real specific to NASCAR, but also a little bit beyond. And I see things in our sport, and, and I've made some comments on it in social media with respect to like the Coke 600 or the, the Southern 500 being so long. And I see them, and I really appreciate how long those races are. And then I see other things like viewing habits where people will watch a video clip that's five minutes long, but they won't watch one that's 20. And I go, oh, well, um, this is a different deal. This is a different market. Uh, this next generation, their consumer or consumption habits are going to be 
much different. And so I see both sides like, ah, not saying I have the answer, but sure. I, I can empathize for, for both perspectives. You have a unique perspective that it's going to be a difficult decision no matter yes. how it falls, right? Somebody's not going to be happy in this future landscape. All right, man. I'll let you go talk to NASCAR America. Thanks Thank for you. Here. Good to see you. There is a new restaurant in Charlotte that just opened this week called Southbound, a Southern California-inspired taco shop that Jimmy Johnson probably would be hitting if he already wasn't a co-owner of this establishment. We talked to Jimmy about his new venture and the unexpected boost it got from a surprise tweet by Dale Earnhardt Jr. So a lot happening for you, not just on the track, but you just became the proprietor of a restaurant in the south end of Charlotte called Southbound, is that right? That's right. And the grand opening was last night? Last night was the opening. How'd it go? It it went well. We've uh, still plenty of of moving pieces to kind of sort out, but um, we've got a, a... a great location. Uh, my partners are very well experienced in the restaurant business. Um, they actually own the uh, the Max Speed Shop, which is next door, and has been highly successful and has moved into seven different locations. Um, so I, I've I've been able to really uh, be on the creative side and trying to create the atmosphere and scene. We also have three other um, places with inside the building that we're going to lease up. Uh, we have a lounge that will be opening before long in the back. Um, so what I'm getting at is the research and the, the creative side has been fun. I mean, we've yeah. been through New York, through San Diego, my, my hometown, um, working on f- flavors, um, the building, the, the aesthetics, um, the handcrafted cocktail lounge in the back. We've been th- to every speakeasy and dive bar, <laughs> handcraft, handcrafted cocktail place you can imagine in New York, which there are some amazing ones. Yes. So the research portion of this has been a lot of fun, and to see it all come <laughs> together now, um, you know, it's we're probably two years in the making of uh, from acquiring the land to where we sit now. And uh, opening nine went very well. You know, a few things to iron out, but it's all going good. This sounds like the kind of homework that I think any of us who enjoy spending time in bars. Yes. <laughs> I was like, no, honey, I, I have to go to a another speakeasy tonight she's like what really I'm like yes the guys are in town like i have to go out and i can tell from the way you're talking about it you obviously have a lot of passion for it jimmy and i, I read the uh charlotte observer story about it and it sounds like a little slice of el cajon in charlotte i mean it sounds like the type of place jimmy johnson would go to the socal inspired taco bar something like you would hang out if if you were still living back in southern california with sangrita and margaritas mexican lagers imported yeah. specially to north carolina um like you said you have these cocktails with a bartender from the ritz carlton in town right yes he came over there he came over and and uh has added some some really neat neat aspects to the bar the uh the, the food side you know i'm fortunate i have a, a great high school friend that's uh, through his own career path has relocated to Charlotte recently, maybe last four or five years moved here full time. But as he came, he made sure he knew how to make the salsa that we grew up on and how to make the carne asada. So this um, is true El Cajon true, cuisine. Yes. And occasionally <laughs> I'll, I'll be able to try some. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I miss those flavors. And then anybody that tastes them, I'm like, man, that's incredible. I've never had anything like it. Yeah. So as the concept came along and with uh, my friend here in town and other buddies in, in San Diego still, occasionally dry uh icing some food and sending me some supplies i'm like thank you um (laughs) kids that i went to school with and i grew up with um their parents had restaurants mexican restaurants in southern california and they've opened up their kitchens and showed us processes and ways to do things that you know we really kind of found our 
our um, our angle and our vibe and, and, and the concept that we wanted to put in. So, you know, there really is a lot of thought and effort uh, that's gone into it. It is a very casual place and fun. We, we have a, a music aspect as well. There's a stage. Max Speed Shop is next door, and our two stages will alternate back and forth. And we really hope it's a destination for people to come chill, hang out, um, get some good food, hear some music. As the other um, three spaces open up, um, we'll have some other cool things to offer as well. And so you're a believer enough in what you grew up on. That can work here in North Carolina just because the quality in, is so good. It's it's just different. You yeah. know? And, and we're going to some great lengths to make sure that the, the quality is, is very high and um you like, know, of course, like using dry ice to actually like, well, the, import stuff. <laughs> I mean, just, just the cuts of meat, the, yeah. the fish. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that we're organic, but we're 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 bringing a high quality um, you know f- food to, to everything. We have our own juice juice station, <laughs> so all the marinades, um, all the juice for the the speakeasy in the back or cocktail lounge in the back to the the bar up front for the restaurant it's all fresh organic juice that we make right there in house so there are a lot of steps to have it be you know really clean and, and good high and there quality are, and there are no tvs i saw in the open area right is that no. i remember you said when you were on this podcast last year you talked about how part of the reason to move to colorado was to keep evie and lydia away from like being on the devices all the time and yeah enjoy it. did that influence your decision here like you want people to like sort of enjoy the ambiance and each other and the food and not worry about like watching games it- uh, yeah you know I, I guess through our our inspiration board and in the other restaurants that we uh we kind of tapped into um and drew inspiration from there's there aren't any televisions you know some of the most <laughs> successful kind of cool spots in, in new york that we were replicating don't don't have TVs and, and and honestly we're trying to also create another experience because our neighbor in in Max has TVs and a, and a great barbecue scene and vibe that goes on and you know if you will it's it's predominantly men over there enjoying it and we needed a place that was going to maybe attract ladies and, and have the girls come in so that the Max guys weren't leaving to go find girls at other places <laughs> and we, we were inviting and uh, you know created that spot that that. Uh, you know, my wife would want to go to. So, yeah. um, you know, that, that did have a piece to it. So I think that's probably the, the largest component to it is, is uh, Shani's involvement and uh, just kind of creating, you know, a true kind of hang spot and, and not have your eyes stuck on a television and, and not engage in your conversation with your friends. The story behind Dale Jr. spilling the beans on you being the co-owner, he put that out there for the world, what, about five days early yeah. on Twitter, and you're like, hey, thanks, buddy. Good thing nobody follows you. How'd that work out? <laughs> it was it was fine. It, I didn't, I, by no means trying to not get the word out there, but, you know, it can be a bit tricky when an athlete or a celebrity gets involved with a restaurant, I and mean, people have seen it before, and I wanted the restaurant to get off to its own start and establish its own reputation and then my involvement be known later. I assume there would be chatter. You know, people people know and people have been talking about it around town, but it hasn't been put into the amplifier Not, yeah. and sent out. Not by the 14-time most popular driver. <laughs> right. I just, I was more interested in organically getting out sure. and in the right way. Yeah. And, you know, when, when Dale, all he was doing was trying to help me. I mean, yeah, he's a yeah, great friend. Right, right. And, uh... It played out so well that, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those organic meant-to-be situations. Um, I think there was a a USA Today article about it. I've heard that it's been on radio shows, you know, in our surrounding states, and people have talked about it far and wide. If we put out a strategic plan to, like, announce my involvement, I don't think it would have had that reach. So it's really turned out as one of those things that just happened where it was the perfect storm. Who needs a plan sometimes. Right. 
All right, man. Well, uh, good luck with that, and good luck with the other thing you got going on, which is the playoffs. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's go time. Fall right. is here, so I'm happy. Let's go racing. He always has been known to have an opinion, but Kevin Harvick seems more consistently outspoken these days through his weekly SiriusXM show, Happy Hours, where the 2014 champion seems to make a weekly headline with a controversial or unconventional take on the news. We asked Harvick about life as a more visible media member. So you just did the Sirius XM show last night, and we were just kind of talking about this. I, I view you almost not quite full-fledged media member, but you've done some TV this year. You've, you've got the Sirius XM show. Are you enjoying this? It seems like you're kind of relishing it. You know, I, I think I totally underestimated the power of, of the radio show for sure, uh, just for the fact that, you know, you have so much uh, time to weigh in on the topics of the week, and, and you know, I think having a you know, an opinion about things that are actually happening in the sport that, that was relevant to being on the racetrack or around the situation is something that the, the fans really enjoy. And I think I, I honestly had a really big gap in communicating with my fans and, and, and those opinions and, and what you think about things. And um, sometimes on the weekends when, you know, they hear your opinion and they hear the things that you say, it can come from a competition state of mind and competition moments. And I think that's the biggest thing are those moments where you haven't quite turned off being frustrated or being, um, you know, in that train of thought of what you're doing and how you're doing things. Now it's more of a casual atmosphere where you've had time to think about things and understand, um, you know, most of the situations and, and you know, give a, a fair and balanced opinion of, where you think things are and ideas that you have and so it's been fun yeah um, the tv thing obviously that's something i'd love to do as as you know I, I i get towards the end of my career and and go into the next phase of life uh so that's been um you know something that i've been fortunate to to be able to, to sit in the booth and and do and gain that experience before i even get out of the car and when you're done you'll have a ton of experience uh on your resume it seems like Kevin, out of every radio show you've you've done, there's been one buzzy item, which as a media member, I'll give you a lot of credit for. Like when you get those items to get traction, that signifies that you're having resonance, you have a significant show. Is that by design, you put a lot of preparation into, okay, like tonight, I'm going to make the point of saying we're going to rotate all-star races, or we're going to talk about a wild card race, or is it does it grow naturally out of the conversation or what the callers give well, you? Well, I, th- I think, uh, you know, Daniel Norwood from from Sirius does a, does a good job of kind of helping Helping Matt and I guide our ideas uh, on Monday. Uh, we have a you know a small production call, and then we go into Tuesday, and Matt and I will sit down and uh, gives us some time to think about things. I think a lot of those um, ideas usually come up on a Monday, just because they're relevant to the week's news and, and things that, that are happening. And then you have thoughts, and then you have thought processes that go along with that that evolve into the ideas or the opinions that, that go along with, with some of those topics. You like controversy, I think it's it's fair to say. Maybe not really being in the middle of it, but I think you're comfortable with telling those stories mm-hmm. and with, with putting that out there. Is this a good platform for it? Is it a good format? Well, you know, I, I wouldn't call it controversy. I would just, I would, I don't, you know, I think some of the conversations, and I think that when you look at the world in general, the world has a hard time of having a, um, a fair conversation nowadays for whatever reason. 
And I, you know, I think you know one person's opinion shouldn't spin you out of the con- out of control so much that it makes you mad, yeah. uh, especially if the other side is is willing to have a conversation. And that's why you know it's important for us on our show to let the callers call in and and ask their questions, whether they like you or don't like you. I want to hear those opinions and I want to hear those answers because I want to have a conversation with you about uh, what you think and why you think that because it may be something such a great idea that I hadn't thought of or somebody around me hasn't thought of and, and it can lead to something else. And that's that's really what it's about is starting conversation and seeing where it goes. And if it results in you coming up with some ideas as you know, Delana was on this podcast last year and she referred to you as the Tasmanian devil. Of yeah. Like you just pop in and like come up with like, I got this idea, this idea, this idea. is it sort of an outlet for that as well? That- well, you've obviously talked to Delana before, so she's <laughs> she's she lives with me and I have you know, I like to, I think about things a lot and, and, and have a lot of random ideas, whether it be with our house, race teams, you know, we used to, we did things a lot differently than what they did on a, on a, on a normal race team. And it, we constantly evolved and, and, and tried to change things and kept things moving because, um, you know, I truly believe that if you sit on your hands and, and don't evolve with the world, you're going to get left behind. And, and I think that applies to, whether it's race teams, radio shows, relationships, uh, and anything in between, it's constantly changing. And especially in today's day and age, with the way that the world turns now, it changes quick. You like challenges. You like having obstacles to overcome, right? Well, and I think that's been one of the most exciting parts about what we've done this year on our race team at Stuart Haas Racing is switching to Ford. That was one of the most exciting things that I'd ever heard. Sure, there was there have and, and will be some more bumps in the road as far as you know where the performance is on a week to week basis. We've ran really good at some places. We've ran uh, we've been off at a couple places, but that's the part that I like. I love the fact that you have that challenge of building something and, and making it into something because I believe that the light at the end of the tunnel in this particular scenario is a lot brighter than what it could have been because we have so many more things in our control, yeah. so many more resources, and um, you know you can survive on your own without having to depend on somebody else. So it's I like those types of challenges. Uh, that was just like the race team. Uh, when, when we owned our race teams, the challenge of you know finding the sponsorship and, and not having the one sponsorship, I, I really think we put part of that on the map of, of going out and finding two or three races here. And then you have another deal of two or three races over here, and you put all that together and, and you make a season. So it was um, there's always a challenge in something. You just have to find it. Do we give you enough credit for being a big thinker? Do, do you wish people knew that more about you, or does it matter? Um, I don't think it really matters because I, you know, I think as as you look at things, and and I can look around and be very satisfied with you know you know kind of the the fingerprint of, of things that you that you leave on the on the sport. And I think as people listen to the radio show, they realize how much I think about the things uh, that we do and and how much we push to to make things change because I like change and, and change really was brought to my eyes as much as anything when I went from RCR to SHR and just how much change can inspire uh, getting the most out of yourself and the people around you. Good luck to you with the change the rest of the way this season and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Many thanks to Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Larson, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Brad Kozlowski, Jimmy Johnson, and Kevin Harvick for stopping by the NASCAR and NBC podcast presented by STP on Playoff Media Day for this special edition. Thanks as well to all their PR reps and to NASCAR IMC for carving out some time in a very busy schedule. So this is part one of the 100th episode. We'll be back very soon with part two. Stay tuned for that. 
And thanks for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast presented by STP. I'm Steve Letart, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.